This is day 34 of our daily Bible reading. Today we will read Numbers chapters 16 through 19 and Psalm 34. Lord Jesus, we enter into your presence this morning, asking for mercy and help, Lord. We are often so weak and pining for things that do not matter. Lord, help us to see the truth of who you are, your glorious radiance, the glory that you have demonstrated to your disciples, and the salvation that you've given us. Such wondrous acts that we don't deserve, and yet because you love us, you gave it to us freely. Lord, help us to have grace for others like you have grace for us. Help us to show mercy to people just like you show mercy to us. And as we enter into your word today, help us to eliminate this spirit of rebellion that is among us, whether active or in ignorance. Please bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action, and they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, two hundred and fifty leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron, and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he? that will grumble against him. Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness? But you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, 
do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they along with Aaron. Each of you take his fire pan and put incense on it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, two hundred and fifty fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall bring his fire pan. So they each took his own censer and put fire on it and laid incense on it, and they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram, with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all their sin. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy, and you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy. 
and they shall be for a sign for the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which the men who were burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar, as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord, so that he will not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, and they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer, and put in it fire from the altar, and lay incense on it. Then bring it quickly to the congregation, and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken, and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead and the living, so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700, besides those who died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting, for the plague had been checked. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and get from them a rod for each father's household, twelve rods, from all their leaders according to their father's households. You shall write each name on his rod, and write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there was one rod for the head of each of their father's households. You shall then deposit them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. It will come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Thus I will lessen from upon myself the grumblings of the sons of Israel, who are grumbling against you. Moses therefore spoke to the sons of Israel, and all their leaders gave him a rod apiece, for each leader according to their father's households, twelve rods, with the rod of Aaron, among their rods. So Moses deposited the rods before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. Now on the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony. And behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Moses then brought out all the rods from the presence of the Lord to all the sons of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his rod. But the Lord said to Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony, to be kept as a sign against the rebels, 
that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, so that they will not die. Thus Moses did, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Then the sons of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, we perish. We are dying. We are all dying. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord, must die. Are we to perish completely? So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent. But they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you, and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting, for all the service of the tent. But an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar, so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion, and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, even every grain offering, and every sin offering, and every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy for you and for your sons. As the most holy gifts, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the offerings of their gift, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. All the best of the fresh oil and all the best of the fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of all flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man 
you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. As to their redemption price, from a month old you shall redeem them, by their valuation, five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and shall offer up their fat in smoke as an offering by fire, for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering and like the right thigh. All the offerings of the holy gifts, which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance, in return for their service which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, They shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel, and from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. Out of all your gifts you shall present every offering due to the Lord, from all the best of them, the sacred part from them. You shall say to them, When you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as the product of the threshing floor and as the product of the wine vat. You may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. You will bear no sin by reason of it when you have offered the best of it. But you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel, or you will die. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, this is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, that they bring you an unblemished red heifer, in which is no defect, 
and on which a yoke has never been placed. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be brought outside the camp and be slaughtered in his presence. Next, Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide and its flesh and its blood, with its refuse, shall be burned. The priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet material and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer. The priest shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward come into the camp. But the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns it shall also wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Now a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water to remove impurity. It is purification from sin. The one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And it shall be a perpetual statute to the sons of Israel and to the alien who sojourns among them. The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. That one shall purify himself from uncleanness with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Anyone who touches a corpse, the body of a man who has died and does not purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. Every open vessel which has no covering tied down on it shall be unclean. Also, anyone who in the open field touches one who has been slain with a sword or who has died naturally or human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Then for the unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the burnt purification from sin, and flowing water shall be added to them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the furnishings, and on the persons who were there, and on the one who touched the bone, or the one slain, or the one dying naturally, or the grave. Then the clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify him from uncleanness, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and shall be clean by evening. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself from cleanness, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water for impurity has not been sprinkled on him, 
he is unclean. So it shall be a perpetual statute for them. And he who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes. And he who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. Furthermore, anything that the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Psalm 34 A Psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers, to cut up the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Okay, let's examine what we read here in Numbers. In chapter 16, we see open rebellion going on in the camp of Israel, and it was all led by a man named Korah. This man is a Levite, just like Moses and Aaron are, but he is accompanied by men that are not Levites, such as from the tribe of Reuben, and it says that there were 250 other people of the congregation, but it doesn't say from what tribe they were from. But what was their problem with Moses and Aaron? Their claim was that all the congregation of Israel was holy, and there was no reason for Moses and Aaron to be on some kind of a power trip. They thought that Moses and Aaron were taking too much authority for themselves, 
and that they were just puffing themselves up with pride. But Moses and Aaron, as we have seen in the past, are very humble people, and we know that God chose them for their particular roles. They didn't seem to understand that, and so they challenged Moses and Aaron in saying that they were taking this all upon themselves, rather than God appointing them as the leaders. So when he says that the entire congregation of Israel is holy, is that true? Yeah, it is. Because in Exodus chapter 19, it says that God made all of the nation holy. They are his chosen, holy, separate people. So in that aspect, they're correct. But they are challenging the wrong person. Because we read elsewhere in Scripture, and this is probably the first place we see it, that God appoints leaders. God chooses who is in charge. We may not like the choice of leaders in ourselves, but ultimately we have to understand that God is the one that put them there. And so if you dishonor the one who is in charge, you dishonor the one who appointed him, who is God himself. And that's where they got it wrong. They didn't go about this the right way, as we can see. So Moses and Aaron took their challenge and said, All right, tough guys, if you think you're so holy, present yourself to the Lord, just like we do. Go in front of the tabernacle at the tent of meeting, bring your censers that has your incense on it, and show the Lord that you're holy. And if you die, well, you are not holy. And if you are holy, then you'll be okay. So then we see that Korah does that. He gathers the people together with him, the 250 men, except for a couple of the instigators, particularly Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. They were one of the four men that were mentioned here to be instigators of this whole thing. And then when they were called out, they were too chicken to go and present themselves before the Lord. So when Moses summoned them, they chose not to. They just instead stood by and were hurling insults at him. They made accusations that he had all these ambitions to lord his position over everyone else. When all of this, of course, is not true. They're just hiding the fact that they are super selfish and they have all these ambitions of their own because they want to be the leaders of the people. It's so amazing how quickly they forgot their miserable existence in Egypt. We see it time and time again, or they're like, oh, that we were back in Egypt, being totally oppressed and completely abused and enslaved. Oh, how we miss that life. It's so pathetic. And yet, again, we cannot be mad at the Israelites because we tend to forget that too. Egypt is synonymous with in our lives, with our old nature. When we are called into salvation through Jesus Christ, we are no longer the same person that we were years ago when we were unsaved. That world no longer applies to us anymore. And I'm sure you've noticed that your affections for that world have greatly changed. It doesn't feel the same like it used to. Sin isn't as pleasurable as it used to be. That world is not as inviting as it once was. That's because God is changing you. God called you out of that life. And so on a spiritual level, 
anytime it talks about Egypt, it usually is referring to the old self before salvation, our unsaved state. And so these people are pining for life before salvation, in a sense. And that's really sad. They don't realize how good they have it, with God wanting to be for them, God instituting laws, no doubt, that some may find difficult. But ultimately, if we understand who God is, he is totally worth obeying, not only for the benefits he gives, but for the person he is. He has demonstrated his worth and his power and his sovereignty among these Israelites, and they still challenge him. So in a sense, they're not challenging Moses and Aaron, really. They're challenging God. God, we don't like the decision you made. And so we are going to take matters into our own hands and do things our way. And did it go well for them? Absolutely not. The Lord said that he was going to do something about it, and he did. So not only did all those guys who went to the tabernacle that had those censers with the incense on it, not only were they consumed by fire, but it says that the homes of Korah and those cowards who were throwing insults from their house, they were all swallowed up by the earth. It said that a chasm opened up in the ground, swallowed them up, and then it just closed right back up. That's pretty wild. And it says in verse 33 that they went alive down to Sheol. Now, what is Sheol? Sheol is another name for the grave. It's not necessarily saying hell, but it is saying like an underworld or afterlife, if you will. In this case, it's referring to the world of the dead, which is the grave. So that stopped that rebellion pretty quickly there. And then they needed more validation, because after this happened, they still blamed Moses and Aaron for the death of these people. You guys just murdered all these people. You are the ones who caused their deaths to happen. And again, they called them the Lord's people, which is still unacceptable. So as usual, the Israelites are drinking whatever Kool-Aid is available at the moment, and they are caught up in the hype of these men being holy, just like Moses and Aaron, and God already showed them, no, that's not the case, but they needed more evidence. There were still several people who did not believe this. And so God was so angry with them that he caused a plague to go out. And it consumed, like it says here, 14,700 people. And the only reason why it didn't spread any further than that is because it shows that Aaron stood in the midst of them. And listen to how this is described here in verse 48. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. Take that verse and put Jesus' name in there. Jesus took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. What plague? If Jesus stood between the dead and the living, which he does, it says in the New Testament that there's only one high priest and one man that stands before God and sinners, and that is the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. He is the one who goes between God and man. The plague 
that is referenced here is our sin. Our sin is like a plague. It is a pestilence. There is nothing good that comes out of sin. All sin does is destroy us and separates us from our Lord. Jesus Christ did what Aaron did here. This is a messianic example that Aaron did. As the high priest, he stood between God's plague and mankind, and he defended mankind to the best of his ability. He was a man with limited power, but Jesus is able to do far greater things than that. He was able to eliminate sin for all past, present, and future at once, and how glorious that is. So even though the people should have learned their lesson by now, God decided to go one step further and give them complete validation. He's like, all right, Israel, you want to be like this? Each of your tribes bring a rod that will represent your tribe, and you bring it to the tabernacle, and we'll see who really is the one appointed by God to lead these people. So they take all the 12 rods and put them before the Ark of the Covenant. And the next day, we see Aaron's rod come back to life, as it were. It sprouted, it had blossoms on it, it had almonds falling off of it. It was alive, and it was beautiful to see. And the people were convinced at this point, so it seems. Then God told them, you know what? Go ahead and leave this rod with the Ten Commandments at the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder of what I have done. And so they did that. Then in chapter 18, God goes through commands on what the Levites are supposed to do in support of the priesthood. And then he goes on to say that all of the gifts that the people of Israel give to the tabernacle as an offering to the Lord a portion of it goes to the Levites, and it is their reward. It is their compensation for being a priest. The Lord is giving of himself to these people. And so all this food, all this oil, all this bread, all the stuff that they make that is supposed to be the best of the best, God gives a portion of it to the Levites. And doesn't the Lord do that to us as well? He gives of his best, and he gives to his people, the Christians. He most certainly does. And so we can see this as an illustration of the goodness of God in our day, too, even though the tabernacle no longer applies to us. Then there's, in chapter 19, the sacrifice of the red heifer. This is a little bit different from the other sacrifices in that the ashes of this heifer are used to cleanse sins. They would require that these ashes be mixed with some water, and it was meant to remove impurities. This served as a purification from sin, and if they were unclean, they had to do it a particular way on specific days. And what I got out of this portion, besides the ritual itself, was how there was a portion at the end of chapter 19 where it talked about the heifer itself and what it represented. But then God specifically talks about how a man chooses not to follow these commands. And ultimately, that's what I'm trying to get at. And I think that's what God is trying to show us today, is that 
there are particular standards. There are commandments. There are means by which God purifies his people. And ultimately for us, it is to abstain from the evil desires of this world to keep ourselves clean spiritually by staying away from all the nasty stuff that's in the world today. But it does say specifically that if a man who is unclean and chooses not to purify himself, that person shall be cut off from his people. That not only is demonstrating the legitimacy of someone's salvation, but also in a church environment, if there is a toxic individual in your midst who does not want to repent, that is going off the beaten path, causing division, that person needs to be removed from the midst. That should not be tolerated in a church environment. It is the body of Christ, much like how the tabernacle here is God's temple. Just like how the Levites are God's chosen holy people, we are God's chosen holy people today. And it says specifically for these people that if they did something wrong, they would die. Thank God he isn't so strict today on this, because a lot of us, probably even myself, should have died already. But the whole point to this is for God to illustrate how seriously he takes his commandments and how seriously we should take them. What he says is a matter of life or death. Do we see our Christian lives that way, as being a matter of life or death? Maybe the pressure physically is not on you, but in a spiritual sense, our life depends on our salvation. And while going to church and performing religious ritual does not make us saved, God still demands obedience from the heart. And that devotion to him, that service to him, pleases him greatly. That's how he wants to be worshipped. So let's take the commands of the Lord in the book of Numbers and apply it to our lives today, how God wants to be worshipped, how he wants us to interact with each other, how he wants us to be purified from sin. And a lot of it is by choice, to choose to stay away from the things that we know are not going to profit us. That's not always easy to do, but that is the expectation. Now, I found that the psalm for today was rather humorous, because if you know the story of what happened when David feigned his madness, this psalm seems so out of place. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll get there soon in the book of 1 Samuel. But in short, when David is fleeing from King Saul, because Saul wants to kill him, the first thing he does is run back to where Goliath's sword is, a giant sword, I imagine. And he takes that sword and he takes it with him to the land of the Philistines, the place where Goliath is from, the very city where Goliath is from, with this sword strapped to his back. And I can imagine the looks that people were giving him at the time. And so he went up to the king of Gath, which was King Abimelech. And this dude acted crazy in front of the king. He was scratching on the door. He was slobbering into his beard. He was saying incoherent things. And the king is like, what are you doing? Why did you bring him here? Get him out of here. He's crazy. And then he sings this psalm. It just seems so out of place. 
But here he is giving a psalm of thanksgiving, and he's calling on the people of the Lord to praise the Lord for deliverance and for the goodness of his people. So it really just, in the timeline, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But this really shows David's heart during the whole thing. While he is acting deceitfully, and he is lying to these enemies of his, he still loves the Lord. And we can't be mad at David because we all make mistakes every single day. Things that we fall short in having faith in, and having proper conduct in. We all have our shortcomings. And David is a beautiful example of that. This man made a lot of mistakes in his life, and some really big ones too. And yet God honored him and recognized him as his servant, despite those things. Because the rest of the time, when he did not have these moments of weakness, he sought the Lord. And that's how we need to be today. We will make mistakes along the way. We can't beat ourselves up too much for it. But we need to try not to do them anymore. We need to try to purify ourselves in the sight of God so that he can be honored, not only in our own hearts, but also in the world around us. Because that's how we introduce the gospel to people. We show our reverence for God in our behavior, in our conduct, in our speech. And it's going to look different from everyone else. And that is an entry point for you to share Jesus with someone. So I challenge you to consider these things as we go through our days to honor the Lord as best as we can and to consider everything he says as holy and that it is a matter of life or death. It'll change the way we look at things and the way we act. Now in this psalm, there are many good verses that we could choose to memorize today. But the one that really calls out to me is going to be Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What does it mean to taste the Lord? What it's talking about here is seeking him, having an interaction with him, spending time with him in prayer and in his scripture, getting to know who he is, taste of his presence, taste of his word, taste of his goodness. You won't find it any other way. So spend time taking the scripture seriously and developing a prayer life if you haven't already. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.